Ephesians chapter number two, I want you to look at your Bible now, verse number one. The Bible says this, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were call, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, uh, by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Just remember, I want you to notice um, verse number two, three, and 11. In verse number two, it says, wherein in time past. In verse number three, it says, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. And then verse number 11, wherefore remember that ye being in time past. I want you to talk, talk to me a little bit. Paul yeah, Apostle Paul mentions these three statements in time past. He's referring to the church at Ephesus. Just I mean, when Paul went to Ephesus, he was there for three years, the Bible te teaches us. And while he was there at church, people were saved and a church was started. You know, when we think of church, especially if you've been here any length of time, or especially if you're a young person, when you think of church, you think about what you see. In other words, you, you think about a congregation of people. You think about young and old. Uh, you think about a pastor. You think about the Lord's Supper. You think about church services, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But you're when, when Paul went to Ephesus, those things were not established yet. There was no church at Ephesus, all right? And so when he went to Ephesus and people started being saved, there is no doubt that the church could have met underneath a tree, the assembly, I call the church, the church meaning ecclesia, assembly, uh, they called out assembly. The group of believers could have met in somebody's house. Um, there were times that they would go down to the river there close by because it talked about them being on the shoreline. Do you understand that when Paul went there, there were not aged believers. There were not people who were saved a, a, length, a, a length of time. Paul, I mean, you talk about pioneering a work. Apostle Paul was pioneering a work. People who had never heard of Christ, never. Now think about this. Again, we, I believe, hopefully you believe the same, but we believe that Old Testament had to have faith that the Messiah would come and that same faith in the New Testament that we look back to the Messiah having come. Having come. It's still for by grace are you saved through faith. All right? it, it's the same faith uh, of that. But when Paul was uh, starting this church at Ephesus, here Jesus Christ had died just prior to that. The Messiah had died. And now Paul is going out after seeing that light on the road to Damascus and being saved, and he's going on trying to tell people, hey, listen, Jesus was the Messiah. He's the one that came to earth to take away the sin of the world, and he's the one that you must believe on. So he goes to the city of Ephesus, and think now, they were Gentiles, they weren't Jews. The, the city of Ephesus, we talk about the Ephesians, and their, if I can say their goddess was the goddess of Diana, and they were worshiping this false image of Diana. And so you understand these unbelievers now, a small nucleus, they're getting saved, and Paul starts this church. 
can, if I can just imagine for just a little bit, these weren't children that had gotten saved. These were men and women that got saved. Not that children did not get saved, but these were, if I can say, aged adults that accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, with that thought in mind, because I want to talk about what Paul's referring to here in time past, these aged believers, I'm talking about folks that had not been saved very long, but they were older, in their, older physically. They were older people, and they could have been 20, they could have been 30. But they were not just children. This church that had to start with adults had to start with first-generation Christians. Certainly here at Heritage Heritage, we enjoy the blessing of having first and second and third and maybe even fourth-generation Christians in this auditorium even tonight. We enjoy the blessing of being able to be raised, be personally, being raised in a Christian home all of my life and growing up in church. I cannot remember a time I didn't go to church. Uh, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all of that was about growing up in church because I was probably, you'd consider a third generation, but for sure a second generation Christian um, as far as growing up in church. Paul did not have that at the church of Ephesus. These were first generation Christians. Now, we don't think of this, but unless uh, somebody would come to church and they just got saved and uh, that first generation Christian, uh, sometimes we uh, look at the outward appearance and we start to size them up. Oh, that person just got saved because, you know, we might say, okay, their, their hair is long or their clothing is not necessarily what you would think. Or uh, we would say uh, maybe that, what, a thousand things. We would look on the outward appearance and we would try to surmise. We wouldn't say it, but we'd surmise in our heart, that person just got saved or that person hasn't been saved very long. Can you imagine the entire church like that? Can you imagine the entire church at Ephesus was a group of people that had just gotten saved and had newly put their faith and trust in Christ? I am so thankful for being a second and third generation Christian. I'm so thankful for being raised in a Christian home. I, I never went to a public school. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Bible college. I'm thankful for the Christian atmosphere, the Christian activities, the Christian mission trips, all of those things that were part of my life because I had a mom and dad that were saved that raised me in a Christian home. But church family, the church of Ephesus wasn't like that. This, the, this church was new. And it was not only new, there were no other churches they could have come from to join with that fellowship of believers. So here you have first generation Christians and Paul is writing to them and he said, in time past. Now what's, what's Paul referring to? He's referring to when, before they had gotten saved. He said in time past, three times in this particular passage, trying to get them to remember, this is what you used to be and this is what you are. This is where you were going, but this is now, now where you're going. And he's going through these, these things with them. And he actually spells out three specific things. And actually, Paul alliterates his uh, sermon here because all three things that he mentions begin with the letter C, and they're mentioned in the verses here. Now, I want you to notice these three things that he's talking about tonight, and I want to make, again, application for our own life. When Paul writes here, let's look at verse number one again. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, there's quickened, made alive. You got saved. You trusted Christ as your Savior. The Spirit of God came and dwelt inside of you. Verse number two, where in time past you walked according to the, what's the word, course of this world. And then he says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, here's what he's reminding this church of Ephesus. He's saying, listen, you believers, I want to remind you that in time past, before you got saved, you were on a different course. Saying, we don't think about this very much, but there is a particular course for a person who's lost and there should be, not, not, not always the case because we have the choice, but there's also a particular course for the Christian, all right? How do, how do, you, how do you know that? Well, remember what Paul said before he, he was in prison, he's about to be killed, but he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the last chapters he wrote, he said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my, finished my course. 
In other words, Paul had a course that God had placed in his life. We might call it God's will for our life, but it was a path that Apostle Paul was supposed to take. Paul mentions the same thing in Acts 20, 24, when he said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my, I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Now, church, I'm going I'm to talk about in times past tonight, but can I just tell you as a Christian, you have a course, and you ought to stay on the course. And you ought not to turn to the right hand or to the left. You just need to stay on the path that God has given you in your life. It's mentioned about John the Baptist in Acts 13, 25. And as John fulfilled his course, you say, but John the Baptist was beheaded. He fulfilled his course. You say, well, John the Baptist, you know, he, all he did was he was six months, I mean, just prior to Christ, Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, he told people about Jesus Christ, but then he, he ends up in jail. And he ends up, he ends up not living very long. But he finished his course. David Brainerd was 27 years old, got tuberculosis. He died at age 29. And people would say, well, he didn't live a very much of a life and he had a ministry to the Indians, but he had fulfilled the course that God placed in his life. Hey, you ought to live your life for, to fulfill that course that God's placed for you in your life also. Now, again, here's what he's trying to say to, these, to this church at Ephesus, that there's a course that the lost are on. All right, now look at your Bible again, verse number two. I want you to notice who set the course. That wasn't God, by the way. In verse number two, it says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to who? All right, so who's the one setting the course? Satan's setting the course. You know, you've heard me say, and you know it too, I don't have to have you turn to it, but 2 Corinthians 4, verse number four, little g, the God of this world hath blinded their eyes. Just for me, we, we deal with lost people. If you're in the public, if you're, in a, if you're as far as in a, in a secular job, you deal with lost people. And you know, I want to tell you something. I was, I was at McDonald's this morning. I was talking to a fellow. The longer I'm there, more people feel at, at, at home to talk to me. I go to the, one of the oases on, on, uh, on I-70 because it's the only place I can go and sit down. But, so they're getting, they're getting more comfortable because they see me frequently. And so uh, they start to talk to me. And you know, listening to a lost person, they don't make sense to me. Now, I don't know how you are, but just some of the things that they talk about as far as this world and what's going on. And then sometimes I'll interject and sometimes I just listen to them. But, you know, their, their ideas about life are not normal. For a Christian, they're not normal. You know, we look at abortion as murder and there's no other way around it. All right. Life begins at conception. It doesn't matter if you're a Catholic or a Baptist, you're a Christian. Amen. And so we believe that that homosexuality, that doesn't even make sense. That's not even natural. We, we think to ourselves, that's not even normal. But, you know, they've been indoctrinated because they are on a certain course. You know what the course is? It's a course developed by Satan. It's a particular path and direction that Satan has people blinded in their minds, and he wants to keep them that way. The reason we tell people about Jesus Christ, because we're trying to get, we're, we, being used of God, are trying to be an ambassador for Christ to get them off the course that they're headed. They're on their way to hell. We don't like to say that because, you know, it, sometimes it just, it doesn't feel right. I want to tell you something, hell's not going to feel right. The word hell's not going to feel right. You know, remember the old days that that, that, that preacher's a hell, fire, and damnation preacher? It's because people said, hey, listen, I'm warning you, that's a course that you don't want to follow. That's a course you don't want to end up. Without Jesus Christ, you die and go to hell. And you're going to go there forever and ever and ever. There'll be no relief. There's no way out. You're, that's the course. Why? Because the Lord, the God said, I made, the, I made hell for the devil and his angels. And the devil wants everybody to go with him. He can possibly go. Because he knows that's where he's going to end up. So again, we understand that in times past, that they, we were on a different course. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for our church as far as the long, 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 long,
the length of time that we've been able to be in one place to be able to see kids grow up in church and again uh, see parents that have trained their children right but there's some of you that you're a first generation Christian and you're sitting in, in amongst us and, and I wanna, uh, let me just say this statement, I hope you'll take it correctly, but a lot of times a first generation Christian comes to the Heritage Baptist Church and I know you don't believe this, but they think there are perfect people here. <laughs> and I quickly remind them, they ain't perfect. Because what happens is, is they see you with your children and they see your children being obedient and they see, say they see kids dress differently and talk differently and they just think to themselves, boy, these are some Christians. Now we know and you know, it doesn't matter how long you'll be saved, we're not some Christian, we're just dirty, rotten sinners that by the grace of God, we're on our way to heaven. Amen. But a first generation Christian looks at that and they think, wow, no, it's not about wow, it's about God's forgiveness and not giving us what we deserve. So this idea of a first generation Christian, some of you cannot necessarily relate to this. And I'd be honest, I'd probably have to say that I'm the same way, but we were on a course before we got saved. And I just hate to, t I don't know how to tell you this, but my course was only 11 years because at 11 years of age, I accepted Christ as my savior. But until 11 years age, the God of this world had me set on a course. You say, is that course still going on today? Look at verse number, look at verse number two again. Look what he said there. He said, wherein in, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, what's the word? Now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now worketh in the children of disobedience. Church family, uh, young people, before you got saved as a child, before the age of accountability, you were a child of wrath, which means that you were on your way to hell. I'm, I'm sorry, you were a child of wrath as far as your sin nature, forgive me. Before, the, before your... Uh, uh, before the age of accountability, you're safe, but you're not saved, okay, if I can just put it that way. But we're still a child of wrath. When a person gets to the age of accountability and they choose not to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, then that's what verse number two is talking about. We become a child of disobedience. In other words, when you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you're already, you're, we're, we're all children of the devil. We become a child of God when we're adopted into his family. You're not adopted into God's family until you get saved, and then you become joint heirs with Christ. Are we all in agreement tonight? Okay, I just want to make sure we're going through. I mean, we could look at all the verses. I mean, the scripture's clear. But a child, a child of disobedience is a person who doesn't believe. It's like that guy I talked to yesterday, and I was talking about, I think it was during Sunday school. He looked like Methuselah. And I talked to him, I said, listen, uh, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And he said, no. Uh, and I said, do you believe the, believe the Bible? He said, no. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died? He says, well, I don't know if there was a Jesus Christ. And he was going through all these things with me. He has, now remember, he's, he's, this man's old enough. He is conscious enough. He has chosen not to believe. Are you all with me so far? Now he needs to be saved, okay? And the God of this world has blinded his eyes and he is on a direct course for hell because it's the course Satan wants him to be on. And can I just remind all of us tonight, if nothing else, it ought to remind all of you that in times past, whether you were 11 or 30 or 50, that before you got saved, you were on a course, you were on a direction, you were on your way to hell. I like, I like this passage because of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What a wonderful thing to think that the grace of God, his graciousness, his kindness to us, that he would save us. So in times past, we and they, Church of Ephesus, they had a different course. Look at the next thing the Bible teaches here. Not only did they have a different course, look at verse number three with me. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. And there's the C. He says, among whom we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as 
others. All right, now, just remember the word conversation here means behavior. We had our conversation, we had our behavior in times past before we were saved. What was our behavior like? Look what he says there. He says in that verse number three, he says, our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, look at this phrase, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, you say in times past, before you got saved, who had this type of conversation? Look at the verse again. Look at verse number three again. Among whom also we, what's the next word? Everybody. All. Elementary student. Junior high, high school, college, uh, every adult. Every person before they got saved had their conversation, as the Bible says here, the, in the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and the desire of the mind. In other words, church family, the reason lost people do what they do is because they have no Holy Spirit of God inside of them to convict them. Amen. You talk about chaotic as far as some of the stuff that's going on in our society today, and we scratch our head and think, we th I always say, that's not even logical. You know, it's one thing it's not spiritual. That's not even logical. But church family, the reason people do, are doing what they're doing is because they're fulfilling the desires of their flesh and mind. In other words, I want to do it, I do it. Now listen, I, I find out there's a lot of Christians that are, are doing what the world is doing in this idea of fulfilling the flesh and the mind. And that's just simply, simply being backslidden because the Bible says in Galatians 5, verse number 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So in other words, uh, you can do the same thing a lost person can do when it comes to just doing whatever your flesh wants, do whatever your mind wants. But what helps you overcome that is walking in the spirit. Now, Paul is reminding them that in times past, you had a different course. You were going a different direction. Now you should be going another direction. He said in times past, you had a different conversation. So the, the conversation, the behavior of a lost person is part of their nature. But if you're saved, it should not be your nature. Look, look at the verse again in verse number three. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, our behavior in times past. What was it like? It was in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by, what's the word? Nature. Church family, a bird flies because it's part of its nature. A duck swims because it's part of its nature. There's things that God has inbred into mammals as well as mankind that is part of our, our nature. What's part of our nature? To sin. None of us had to teach our children to sin, did we not? They all figured it out on their own. You, you know, when it comes to the lost, you know, sometimes it aggravates us what's going on in our society. But church family, our society is just doing what's natural for them. It's no excuse. Because the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 2 that all are without excuse. But you know what they're doing? They're doing what's natural. So you get frustrated with that person at work because he cusses and uses the Lord's name in vain. He's just doing what's natural for him. You get, you get aggravated because that person that you work with that wants to flaunt how they're living with somebody and they're not married, that's natural for them. Now, it should not be natural for a Christian. You know why? Because you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But in times past, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, listen, I just want to remind you in times past, you were on a different course. You were going a different direction. But I also want to remind you that in times past, you had a different behavior. You had a different conversation of life. I mean, you ought to be different. You've been at this church long enough, and I've preached it long and hard on very, very, various things, but it doesn't take a preacher to tell you that. It takes the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you that should tell you that. 
you know, I get sometimes frustrated with my children, and I tell, in my mind, sometimes I tell them, tell them verbally too, but in my mind I think to myself, you should know better. My dad used to say, you've been raised better. <laughs> That's what he used to say. You've been raised better. You know, isn't it disappointing as a parent when your kids don't do what you've taught them to do? Oh, it's disappointing. Especially when they get to that age where they're older and they're making some of their own decisions and sometimes you kind of let the leash go a little bit farther, depending on what age they are, obviously, to give them a little bit more, more slack and they make wrong decisions and you think to yourself, you know, you know better than that. And yet you're a child of God. And God looks at you and you don't need a preacher and you don't need a parent necessarily. I mean, I'm talking about older children. But you don't need somebody to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know better. You know better you shouldn't be watching those things that you're watching. You know better you shouldn't be hanging around those people that are leading you astray. You know better you shouldn't be using that kind of language. You know better. You're a child of God. Your behavior ought to be different. So here's what he's talking to this church. He says, in times past, you were on a different course because you're on your way to hell. He says, in times past, yes, you had different behavior. You had a different, different conversation because you weren't saved, but you're saved now. Remember the songs we used to sing? The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Why? Because there's been a great change in my life. Amen. That change ought to be evident in our life. And so again, he just says your behavior ought to be different. Look, at there's one more thing here that's kind of interesting here in verse number 11. He says, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are, what's the word? Called. He says, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, church family, verse number 11 down through most of the rest of the chapter here, Paul is making reference to the Jews and Gentiles. And think for just a second, was the church at Ephesus, was it, for the, major, for the most part, was it more Jewish or more Gentile, church of Ephesus? Gentile. It was Gentile. Now, what did the Jews have that the Gentiles didn't have? Well, the Jews had the Messiah that came from them. They had Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. The, the Jews, for the most part, had the scriptures because most of the scriptures were written by Jews. The Gentiles didn't have any of that. So the Gentiles were called the uncircumcision. And I know that was, they were, it had a fleshly connotation to uncircumcision and circumcision. But when you look at the New Testament, most of the time when he's referring to the uncircumcised and uncircumcision and then circumcision, he's referring to Jew and Gentile. So here's what Paul's trying to say in verse number 11. He says, wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. He says, he says in times past, that's what you were called. And by the way, that's not the only thing they were called. Talking about the Gentiles, look at verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ being what? How would you like that for a name? Oh, there goes another alien. Alien. He says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and what else? Strangers from the covenants of the promise. In other words, covenants and the providence, promises was the word of God. He says, you're strangers to that. You're an alien to that. It's not all they were called. Look at verse number 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and what? Foreigners. Just, I don't know if you're catching this or not, but he said, listen, in times past, before you got saved, you were on a different course. In times past, you had a different conversation, a different behavior. In times past, you were called something different. He says, it's not the same anymore. Church, remember, we're on a different course. We're on our way to heaven. 
We got a new life in Christ. We got a different conversation. We got a different behavior. Those, those things I used to do, I shouldn't be doing them anymore. I got a new calling. I'm not called by those the uncircumcised and foreigner and stranger. That's not what I am anymore. Look what you are now. Look at verse number 19. Of course, he taught, he's telling the church of Ephesus this also. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but what? Fellow citizens with the what? And of the what? I think I like those names a lot better, don't you? You're on a new team. You're part of a new family. He, in fact, Paul is really particular about Jews and Gentiles. I'll just point out a couple more things here, if you don't mind. Uh, in verse number 13, he says, but now in Christ. In other words, the, Gentile, I'm sorry, the Jews, they seem like they are the most important. He says, but now because you're in Christ, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. If you're saved tonight, you are, you're saved because of the blood of Christ. His blood was shed. That's how come you have eternal life. Somebody had to die and somebody's blood had to be shed. So either you die and go to hell and spend eternity there to pay for your own sin or Jesus paid for it on the cross. How many is glad Jesus paid it, paid it all? So then he says this about the Jew and Gentile in verse number 14. For he is our peace who made both. Now, church, I mean, he mentions the word both in verse 14, verse 16, and verse 18. And when he uses the word both, he's referring to both Jew and Gentile. In other words, we're all saved now, and we have become one because of the Spirit of God and, of course, salvation through Jesus Christ. In verse 14, again, he says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, both Jew and Gentile one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even, now, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man. In other words, a Jew or a Gentile, we are one new man. It's not, okay, the Jews are over here because the Messiah came from them, and all, all of us, the rest of us, are Gentiles. We're all over here because Jesus didn't come as, as a Gentile. No, he said he has made all, both one new man. What's the new man? The new man is the person who accepts Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. That's what makes you new. I, I, I might have mentioned this, but I, I find it interesting. The story came across my desk the other day again. But it was interesting that in the Civil War, uh, and I, I don't know if it's to be honest, with you, I don't know if it's true or not. I've read it in two different, three different places. But a guy during the Civil War, a guy thought, you know what? I'm going to wear the pants that are blue, and I'm going to wear the coat that's gray. And he walked down the middle of a, of a battlefield. Did you know both teams shot him? Both of them, from my read, I don't know if it's a true story, but from both all the accounts, if it is a true story, I've read it in several places, or two, three different places, I should say, that they both shot him. I want to tell you something, because you can't live, put one foot in the world. <laughs> and one foot in Christianity and think that everything's going to be okay. And I want to tell you, when it comes to being call, a calling that God's called you, if you're called a Christian now. I'm not a stranger and a foreigner. I'm part of the household of faith. And because I'm in the household of faith, I ought to act like I'm part of the household of faith. And I ought not to be ashamed of my calling. You know, when the Bible says in the book of Acts that, uh, that they were uh, called Christians, that was not a, uh, a, you know, a glorified name or a blessing. That was a derogatory statement when somebody said, oh, those are followers of Christ. How do we know that? Because the priest kept telling J Peter and John, said, stop uh, turning people to that name. You know, we live in the United States of America, and we are a Christian society beyond the popular belief of some people, but we are a Christian society. And the reason we say that we're a Christian society is because our, our, our founding fathers of, the, of, of America were Christians, and it's all through it. Read the Constitution. Read the Declaration of Independence. 
Read the Thanksgiving proclamation. You cannot read anything that is of historical value. And by the way, that's what's going on. They don't want that historical, all those things in history. That's why they're trying to take it away because there's too many things that point to God. That's the only reason. And we are a Christian nation, and I, I don't know how to say presently now, are, I can't tell you that, but as far as, as far as our nation's foundation, it was founded on Christian principles and Bible principles. America is only as great as she is right now because of the foundation that we were given when we were started. People came from, from Europe because of religious liberty, and specifically they wanted God liberty. And so here today, we're living in a society, and everybody doesn't mind necessarily, oh, we're, we're a Christian. Well, I'll tell you something, we're all not Christians. That's right. Number one, we're not, all not, not everybody's a Christian unless, first of all, you're saved. Hey. And if you really want to get to the fact of the matter, you're really not a Christian unless you're acting like Christ would act. So if you go to work and you laugh at the dirty jokes and you use those derogatory or slang and in some cases cuss words because you want to be like everybody else, you're not acting like a Christian. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself. This thing that, you, that we want to take lightly, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Your name's written in heaven. You're a blood-brought saint. You ought to act like the Lord wants you to act like. We have a different calling. And because of that, we ought to make sure that we live for the Lord. Now, I'm so thankful tonight that I wasn't like the church of Ephesus. I'm thankful for the Christian heritage that I have. I'm thankful that I could raise in a Christian home. You young people that are, that are through here, listen to me, and, I, and I'm almost done. But I want to tell you something. I don't know how to get through your thick head, but you ought to be thankful that by God's grace, he puts you in a Christian home and puts you in a Christian church. You know, some of you kids in here, you're, you're, you are so ungrateful for what God has done for your life that I could put some of our, our people that are first-generation Christians behind this pulpit tonight and give testimony and share their heart. And the people who are, are first- and second-generation Christians that can relate to that, it would bring them to tears. But you know what it does to you that you're, you're a third, second- and third-generation Christian? You've been raised in church all your life. You've been spoon-fed every, everything, and you are unappreciative for what God's done in your life. You'd sit there and listen to those testimonies and go, ah. People sitting inside the service right now who God saved them out of drugs. People sitting in the service right now who God saved them out of immorality. There's people sitting in the service right now that they have such a trash life. They, mom and, they didn't have a mom and dad. They grew up in a, either in a foster home or they grew up where they had a mom or a dad, but then they were with a boyfriend and girlfriend. People sitting in the service right now that were saved out of that thing, and they sit in services like this, and they soak everything up. They shake hands with me going out to service. He says, Pastor, I can't thank you enough for preaching that. That really helped me today. And you, set, you second and third generation Christians, you don't even shake my hand. And if you do my shake my hand, you're on your way to run out to talk to somebody because you got nothing from the church service and made no decision during an invitation. I'm just, I'm just telling you tonight, you're going to have to wake up. There's so many young people God wants to use and you're just going to sit on the shelf and do nothing for God. And the reason you do nothing for God is because you take your Christianity so lackadaisical because you're not one of these Ephesians that were saved from a course that was going to send them to hell like you, because you, you don't look at it that way. A course that was going to send them to hell. You're not one of these Ephesians who came out of the life of immorality and drugs and junk because you get to raise in a Christian home. But I want to tell you something. I was raised in a Christian home, but I want to tell you something. You're just as much as a sinner as the person that went and experienced all those things. In time past, 
we had a different course. No matter what your age, no matter when you got saved, you had a different course. In times past, you had a different conversation, a different behavior before you got saved. And in time past, you had a different calling. You had a different calling. In World War II, the World War II was about to end, and uh, the Americans were about to come into Germany. And an old grandmother, it was in, the, in her particular city, an old grandmother came out into the middle of the city, and she had this small American flag. And she was holding that American flag, and she was walking down in the middle of the city. And the, and the people that were in Germany said, told the lady, listen, you're, you're crazy. You can't stand there. The Americans are about to come. And she just looked over to them and says, I know they're coming. I want them to know whose side I'm on. You know, some of you better figure out whose side you're on. Because <laughs> if you're saved, you ought to be on his side. And you ought to show it. Would you mind ahead and close your eyes tonight? <clears throat>